this episode is brought to you by uh, Seth Hood and Zane Gallagher with Elevate Wellness. Uh, and we always take this time to, and we want to make sure we take this time to also talk about, we're doing it differently this episode because we want to talk about Bizzler. Uh, just turning the uh, we just turned into the new year and this is the year that bizzler is happening if you have not heard yet august 15th through the 19th we are going to cancun mexico with a bunch of alumni who are also going to go there uh the spots are now open you can go in if you need more information the link uh is going to be below onto the in the description uh so you guys can uh fill out a form and uh Make sure that you guys uh, get registered to go. But the reason we bring up Bizzler is because Nick and Naomi and I are on a race. So if you're like us where you're trying to get into the best shape of your life, both mentally, physically, and emotionally, uh, then that's why we went with Elevate Wellness. And so that's why those guys are partnering with us. We are doing their program currently. I'm already down 10 pounds. I don't know if you've been keeping track, Nick, but I've been eating better. I've been like reading great stuff. Uh, I, 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 and, and I've been being held accountable. I'll be honest right now. Yeah. I haven't been as much in touch with Seth as I need to be, but they are always there to help and they are as professional as it gets when it comes to uh, this kind of this kind of thing. So if you guys are looking to get in the best shape of your life, elevate your life, make sure you guys reach out to us and uh, we can get you in touch with those guys. They will give you a bookman discount for coming through Ponytails as well. And so you guys can chat with them about all that stuff. They got flexible plans uh, and a variety of different ways that you can get into that fitness. Easy, no matter what experience you're in, um, you can come and check it out. And then Nick, if you want to tell us a little bit about Nick. Yeah, our, our homie, uh, Nick Warner, is um, really, really blowing the doors down on this this whole like summertime sales thing where what he's doing with Aptive is selling pest control and it's at like a momentum based sale. So what's, what's really crazy about their stats is that like it's common to have 15 to 20 sales in a day. Some of their top producers are selling like 25 records, like 34 sales in a day. And that's just like bonkers because what they're making is like $200 per sale and um, you know, add that all up. They're making six figures pretty handily every summer. And uh, Nick himself has built one of the best organizations in the entire 6,000 person company. Um, he's just um, setting records and putting it all back into philanthropy. Um, he and I spoke last night at length of like these four different philanthropies, nothing but nets for mosquitoes um, and preventing malaria in Africa, Tiger Woods Foundation, um, and, and a few others that I know he's even more passionate about. Uh, but they've over the last two and a half years donated two million dollars to these philanthropies so they're doing something right and they've yeah. built a great strong culture of travel fun you know developing your skill having work-life balance while still doing a little bit of a summertime knock and blitz um, so we definitely want to put you on um, nick's schedule for an interview uh, because we know that um, if you're listening to this podcast you probably got a special edge that you could take to a job like his I'm just got to be coachable and work hard, right? So, yeah. That's right. Um, let's um, be in contact with Nick. Fantastic. Yeah, that good stuff. Now, without further ado, Dave Causer. We're live. Let's go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ponytails Podcast. If this is your first time, welcome, welcome. Where you been? It's okay. Nobody's perfect. But hopefully you can go catch up on some of the episodes. We are excited about our guest today. Nick, if you could uh, tell us who we are with. Yeah. So... Hey, we're excited. We've got Dave Causer in the house. Um, he is a European, originally from the UK, right? Is that correct, Dave? 
No, but I'll keep you guys straight and get you organized. <laughs> okay, okay. We'll uh, we'll ask that in just a second. You went to, is it Houghton College? Houghton College. It's in New York, and I'm from Pennsylvania. Oh, yeah. I don't know why I thought you were from the UK. That's hilarious. <laughs> I, I'm so, honored. That's awesome. You, you work with a lot of Europeans, so that's, yeah. uh, you know, what we're excited to dig in is, Dave, you've got 51 years with the book business. You've got five decades to really, you know, pull out some awesome stories and tell some really high producing people, you know, some people breaking records along the way. I'm sure uh, you've dealt with a few of those. Um, so thank you so much for joining us. Um, we're excited to, to really open up your sales career as well as your management career um, and, and see what uh, the future has in store for uh, you and Southwestern and everything. So thanks again for joining us. I'm excited to be honored to be here. So fun. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you again from for being on. And so uh, let's let's dive in. Uh, typically speaking, what we've done in the past is we just start at the beginning. So uh, 1971. Is that correct? The first year? Who was right. who who is DC in 1971 at Houghton College when someone walked up to you and said, Hey, what are you doing next summer? Well, um, that's almost part of my story is uh, different kind of God stories that came along the way. I, I was adamantly opposed to going to Houghton College. It was a small liberal arts Christian college in New York. And all of my friends that were going to Penn State and other you know, Penn states around Pennsylvania. And my parents wanted me to go there for the first year. Well, that was a compromise we finally came up with. If you go one year and if you don't like it, you can leave. And I just remembered, and it wasn't it wasn't that I, I was just so immature. I was 17 when I graduated from high school and uh, I just wanted to be where my friends were going. So I wanted to go off with them to college and that wasn't gonna happen. It wasn't I had anything against the school or I didn't like the school. I was just um, a little disappointed I wouldn't be heading off with my friends. So I went off to school and I tried out for the uh, freshman basketball team. Back in those days, there was a freshman team and a varsity team. And I had the uh, privilege of scrimmaging against the varsity every night. And there was a guard on the team named Steve Babbitt. And he routinely beat my head in every night on the basketball court. <laughs> and uh, after one night in the locker room, I heard these guys talking about all the different uh, money they had made over the summer. And I kind of raised my hand and said, well, I need to make money. How does, what was this about? And they said, well, we sell these uh, books to help kids with their homework and you have to work really hard, but if you wanna work hard and do a good job, you can come with us. So one of the theories that I've kind of discovered over the years as I've been in the business is that really most of the young people that work on our program recruit themselves. They go to the presentation, they hear about it, they look at the books and they go, okay, I'm gonna do it. And their friends don't necessarily wanna do it. They're Parents are not necessarily um, for it. I mean, we'd like to think that it's all these great recruiting things that we do that get these kids to Nashville and parent visits and great interviews and all these types of things. But really, it's just finding the kid that says, hey, I'm willing to take a chance. I, I, I like meeting people. Uh, let me just go out and see what I can do. So <laughs> Steve ponies. Abbott was uh, a very, very important person in my life. He was the captain of the basketball team, a senior had a car, which was a little rare back in those days, had a beautiful uh, girlfriend, had a 4.0, whatever that young man had, I'd like to have it too. So I followed his footsteps for the next five years and, and he was a great example for me. Our sales manager was a guy named Jim Calder. He was terrific. Um, 
everyone in our company has heard the story of Mr. M and sales school. Yes. Jim was the one who did Mr. M, Mr. Mediocrity, when uh, people went to sales school back in the 70s and 80s. He was a big star. He was a big hit at it. Uh, and, uh, he was not the original Mr. Meteorocracy. He took that from his sales manager. Um, but that's something that we all start sales school with even today, 50 years later. So he was a terrific influence on, on my life. And I owe both of those gentlemen a, a great deal because my uh, life has uh, been on a, on a different path since I had the uh, privilege of meeting both of them. Yeah, so you were near the origins of Mr. M at sales school. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Mr. M in the old days, he not only existed in sales school, but he was brought out all summer long. Yeah. <laughs> brought out for Sunday meetings. He was brought out in pay setter reports. He was always talked about. Oh, he's everywhere if you, if you don't pay attention to him, he's right? still around today. Oh, yeah. You've, you've probably seen a lot of like changes and additions to sales schools over the year. I'm excited to, to hear your thoughts on that. But um, is it mostly the same, would you say? That's an excellent question, um, Nick. Um, and, and even before when I was first starting, I would hear stories about things that were before me. And people talked about that even though there were some small changes, most of the book business has remain the same over all these years. Yeah. Our yeah. company has always been built on the, the uh, premise of developing character in young people. And there are certain principles that we have to try to instill in young people to help them succeed. The importance of setting goals and attitude and schedule and motivation and time management. And those principles, I think that's why Southwestern has been here for 160, 70 years. It's just because it was always built on principles, it was never on ego or who you were. And that was another fantastic thing about our company over the years. And you'll find in your mini ponytail episodes that people come from all different places and backgrounds yeah. to work in our program. It's not who you know or where you went to university or what your parents did or what your parents didn't do. Everyone is, has an opportunity to go out and themselves and build their business and develop their self-esteem just as both of you gentlemen did very very proud of your summers also well, wow. thanks yeah well thank you so much I, I, something you touched on there and i've always wanted to ask someone who has had a, a you know a career like yours with this longevity and this you know so much success and, and you kind of touched on this the, the background doesn't matter did you, do you find that personality matters uh, over the years that you've seen people and trained people and, and, and taught people how to succeed? Have you found that either like people who are shy, or people who are extroverted, introverted, sometimes that, that's like a conception, misconception of people? Do you, do you, do you feel that's like another, that's, that's true? That's, that's another really a great question. Um, there's a young man named Hal Lou. Hal was the youngest person ever to sell books that I know of. He I've met Hal. Yeah, do you guys know Hal? Yeah. I don't. Tell me terrific, about it. Terrific young man. He came as a high school um, student. I think he was 14 or 15. Crazy. Uh, I, I was not as a sales manager originally. Somebody else was. He's from Canada. I can't even imagine how they got the kid across the border to come to the States to sell stuff. <laughs> yeah, he was with Redline, right? Yeah, and, and Hal was, you know, he was younger than all the other kids, obviously, and pretty, a little bit introverted and um, a little shy and didn't sell nearly as much as the other kids. 
I had the privilege of start working with him, I think after his second summer. And after I got to know him and he had a few good summers, he said to me once, he said, he said, DC, if you would have known me the first year, you never would have let me come and sell, would you? I said, absolutely <laughs> not. Um, but he, uh, he, went, he, he graduated from university when he was, I think, 16. Um, Smart cookie. And he went to, yeah, he went to uh, MBA school at Vanderbilt and now wow. works with a, a leading partner in a big investment firm in Chicago. But I, I, whether they were shy or whether they were really outgoing, the two factors that really separated everyone from the rest is were they teachable, coachable? Were they, were they willing to learn? And did they have the uh, work habits that it would take to do well? Hmm. So, um, you know, teachable is, and coachable is a lot different than knowing what you're taught. It's being able to use uh, what, you, what you have been taught, hmm. how to apply it, how to ask questions if it's not working. Over the years, as I've tried to coach a lot of top 10,000 unit salespeople, I've always told them that we're going to have this, this, this scenario of things we're going to go through. And if you don't want to do it, or you don't know how to do it, you don't like it, just let me know because everything's going to be built on the premise that you're doing it, doing that first step of moving forward. Oh. And um, if you don't want to get do it, it's okay. Just let me know. And we'll go on to the next step. And, but but I, I need to understand where you're coming from. And over the years, I got to be uh, uh, really in tune with the kids that were selling books. So I'll share two quick stories yeah. that might be yeah. of interest. <laughs> please, to, yes, please. Yeah, absolutely. This is, okay. this is the whole point. Love it. <laughs> All right. So um, uh, this, uh, this, this first story is about a guy named Jeff Jacobs and his girlfriend, Rachel. So I, I went, when I was coaching people, I would take these 10 steps. I would take them through to getting to the President's Club. Okay. And the first step was always saying this important phrase out loud between all the houses. Everybody's getting them, everybody's getting them, everybody's getting them. You had to say it all day long, <laughs> hundreds of times between all the houses. And you also had to learn how to put it in your presentation three times. In your intro, you would say, yeah, I, th uh, I sure have enjoyed meeting all the families here in the neighborhood. Just about everybody's been getting something from me. You just kind of threw it in. <laughs> and when you showed the mass section, you said, yeah, I think another reason everybody's been getting them is they all love this mass section. And when you got ready to close, you would say, well, I think instead of saying the reason, this is the way I do business, whatever you say, I think the reason everybody's getting them is they all like the way we do business. All right, so that was kind of the first step. And there's these 10 steps. So this, uh, Jeff was in his sixth summer and his girlfriend, Rachel, was in her fourth summer. And Rachel was hitting close to Mort and selling more uh, than her leader boyfriend. And so Jeff called me and he said, hey, I'd like to get on that call schedule with you to get some advanced sales material. Um, um, I know that you're talking to Rachel and, and maybe you can, you can help me get up to where you go. I said, perfect. That's great. I've got these 10 steps. We'll start going through them. We'll put you on the list. You're on the chart. And I said, so, um, and we'll go through the 10 steps. And each time you call, we'll talk about how it worked and I'll give you the next one. So I said, okay. So the first step, Jeff, to hitting Mort is making sure you're saying this positive phrase out loud between all the houses. Everybody's getting them. Everybody's getting them. Everybody's getting them. Everybody's getting them. And he said to me, he said, he said, all right, I'm not doing that. I don't believe in that crap. Oh, so no. let's go on to the next step. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, like, I'm the vice president. No one's ever <laughs> spoken to me like this before, you know? <laughs> Where's this kid coming from? 
And I said, and, and, and so I, I kind of got really bold with them. And I said, hey, I've got my rules. I mean, you, you, if you're not willing to do the first thing that you have to do, then we're not going to go any further. I just, I don't have anything else to say to you. You have to do the first step. He goes, no, I'm not. That's just a bunch of bull. <laughs> I need the technical stuff to help get more sales. And so finally we came up with a compromise and I said, okay, look, all I want you to do is say it all day long for the whole day tomorrow. And then after that, call me back and I'll give you the next step and we'll move on from there, but you have to do it tomorrow. He said, okay, hung up the phone. So the next day um, he's supposed to call me at his appointed time and, and he doesn't call. And I'm thinking to myself, well, this is a bit strange. He knows how much I'm helping Rachel. Maybe I was too harsh with him. I maybe he doesn't want to speak to me again. I don't know. And, but then I thought, you know, sometimes kids get their time zones mixed up. He's selling in mountain time. I'm in central time. He'll probably call in an hour or so. An hour sure. later, two hours later, he doesn't call. I'm thinking to myself, why isn't this young man calling me? And I thought, well, maybe he's busy making sales. So yeah. after four, four or five hours later, I'm thinking to myself, all right, I need to figure this out. So this will date me a bit. And okay. none of your young people are familiar with this. So I have to go to the fax machine because this is in the olden days. We <laughs> faxed in your stats every night. Yes. So I'm going through all these papers and I'm finding his name, Jeff Jacobs. Where is he? Oh, yeah, here he is. Ah, Jeff had sold 427 units that day. Oh, okay. <laughs> I myself, I think the reason he's not wanting to call me is he's going to, he knows I'm going to say, Jeff, how's that? Everybody's getting it crap working out for you, son. <laughs> so um, being teachable, being coachable, being willing to try new things in the way that they're explained and, and, and the Europeans that had such a great summer this year, we'll talk about a bit later. They really, they really were great at that, at just asking, asking questions, fine tuning it. And you need a mentor who really gets to know you really well. I had another terrific young man I worked with, Keith Gullion. And it was, Keith was um, just uh, uh, a top hard charging young man. And his third summer he was working with me, he started law school at the University of Georgia. And he didn't want me to come see him at all during the year much because he wanted to be the number one student in the, in the class. And so this kid was really up at 6 a.m in the library to tell 10 or 11 o'clock every night. And he just literally did that. So I said, all right, Keith, look, I'll come down and spend a day with you and we'll talk through everything about your summer. We'll go through all your reports from the previous years. So we'll get a good game plan together because I really wanted to make sure I knew how I could help him. Comes to sales school. I say goodbye to him. I said, look, I'm going to be in Seattle for the Sunday meeting. That's where you're going to sell. And I'll hang out on uh, Sunday night and, and Monday when you get there, if you want, we can work together. And he goes, don't worry, I'll be at the Sunday meeting in on time. And this is when sales school ended on Friday night. I'm thinking like, Keith, you cannot be there at noon on Sunday. And sure enough, noon on Sunday, he'd driven all the way to Seattle. I'm not sure how he did it. And he was there. Whoa. So um, he, uh, he was selling and he sold 500 units the first week, 600, 700, and 800, like consecutively those first few weeks. Shabby. Yeah. And um, he couldn't really, uh, but, th but then he couldn't really sell anymore. Um, he, co he couldn't seem to get any further. And finally, I, I asked him, I said, Keith, tell me, like, how are you dressed? You know, what are you wearing when you're selling? 
And he said, I'm wearing my really nice uh, University of Georgia Law School t-shirts. Hmm. And I said, hmm. I said, you know what, Keith? I, I think maybe if you had a shirt with. Uh-oh. Dave cut out oh, for a second. Lost Dave. As that happens. So as he reestablishes re his connection here. Um, Hey guys, we're also brought to you by Southwestern Real Estate. Um, if you haven't heard, where the heck have you been? But Southwestern Real Estate has been around for 15, now going on to 16 years, and they are in 14 different states now. How the heck that happened? Well, Pat Roach, long time ago, had no idea what the industry was like. If you haven't listened to that episode, you should. It's fantastic, and he talks about how to grow a business, which the way he did it is probably the way that we all aspire to. Uh, Southwestern Real Estate now is a company that has everything about the Southwestern Advantage culture, but... It, you know, with, without any other drama. <laughs> and so if you are somebody who has been looking to go into real estate, because right now things are great. It's, it's every house is selling, the market's great. And we have had multiple guests on the show who have shared with us the advantages of working with Southwestern Real Estate. You know, anything from flexibility, Grant Greeter has three little kiddos and he's been able to spend time with them growing up and watching them become amazing kiddos and still be able to crush the game and make a ton of money uh, with Southwestern Real Estate. Meredith Gardner, Meredith Kelly as well, Chris Q. We've had several guests on here who have shared the, the love that they have for their company and for the industry that they are in. So if you have ever thought to yourself, man, I wanna work at a place that's flexible, I wanna work at a place that is really hot right now to work in, that is gonna continue to be that way. If you're looking to have uh, priority set right where you can focus on your family and your job and still be well off then uh, yeah call us message us get a hold of us and we can get you in touch with pat if you sold books you get an automatic interview and really it's 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 as flexible as you need it if it's as it's as fun as you need it 99 percent uh drama free is what he calls it so one percent yeah. drama one percent drama is what pat would say so shout out to Just pat keep things and interesting, right? that's right that's right and dude the freddies are coming up and uh, what do we oh, know about yeah. the Freddies, Nick? <laughs> yeah, so the Freddies. In fact, who might be there but myself? Who knows? We'll have to we'll have to figure something out because one of our sponsors, Martina and Lucas, is throwing down. So they're uh, perfect at putting any playlist together for any event, whether it's a Freddies, you know, and you gotta get the people going, or if it's a wedding, or if it's something a little more chill, like these guys got a playlist for anything. So um, when you're looking into, you know, DJs for an event, right, you want to have a good time, the important things to consider is, do I trust this person, right? Can they actually play good music? Do I believe in their abilities, right? Um, the second thing is, are they actually like affordable? Like, can I, can I put money towards this and get a return on investment feeling happy about the, the music that they played? And then third, um, like, again, are they actually good at their job? Are they trustworthy? Can, are they affordable and can they do their job? These guys do it all. And doing it at the Freddy's is a perfect way to showcase what they're capable of. So we're excited to, to mutually promote each other um, at such events. So yeah, yeah, check them out absolutely. at the Freddy's and beyond. That's so cool. That's and we're back. back. Cool. Thank you. So anyways, I'll shorten that story up. And I was like two days in a row, I said, well, did you get your shirt? And he said, no. And the next day, did you get your shirt? No. The next day I said, did you get your shirt? No, and I said, okay, I got it. You're the teachable one, right? You're the one that does everything I ask you to do. It kind of got in space about it. And he went and got his shirt, and then he did start selling um, a lot better. But also, <laughs> at the same time, I, and we all need to look at leaders of what can we learn from the people we work with. 
there's another young man that you guys may have heard his name or heard his tapes, Bill Zizzy. Similar oh, situation. It's about to bring so, him up. I'm, 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 I'm going to follow Bill his first day on the book field. Very first his, day, huh? His very first, not, not his very first day ever, okay. but his first day of this summer. I forget, maybe it's fourth summer. He's at the Sunday meeting and I'm just going to stay over and go with him in the morning to get started. And so we go out and uh, he gets started and he's driving around and he goes to this house. It's got a lot of toys and tri tricycles in the yard. So this is the per perfect house to start. Goes in, sits down, lady likes him and he sells a uh, My Fun book, which back then was like two units. <laughs> the one and I'm looking out of the house with them and I said, Bill, I said, look, I mean, that woman would have bought a lot of books from you. I mean, at two units, you're going to have to have, you know, 5,000 customers to sell 10,000 units. I mean, I think you need, and he looked at me and he goes, DC, don't worry. I know what I'm doing. I just wanted a name in my order book. I just wanted something to start with so I could have a little momentum for the day. And as I thought back out, back on it, he was right. I was wrong. So as a leader and a mentor, we have to be open to listening to what the people we're working with have, have, have to say and process it and think about it. And, you know, we're not always right. So I think good mentors are always looking for new ways to listen to the people they work with and how they can improve and what wow. they can do. Sounds like and a healthy for people, perspective. For people who don't know, Bill Zizzy that summer went out to sell, what, 13,000, 12,000 units or some odd? Yeah, he, he, yeah, he probably was around 12,000. I mean, he back then the, the handbooks were five units each. So it would probably be more like 16 or 17,000. Uh, of the wow. way we count units today um but he was he and uh dave rosen were terrific yeah. uh yeah. people and and did re yeah. really well and that, i mean sometimes people say well why did you stay here for 51 years and i think that one of the answers to that question is that i've been so blessed to work with such wonderful people over all the years all, i mean what, what better career could you have than to meet the most dynamic young people from around the world and even getting to know you two today just 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 terrific <laughs> Yeah, jam on it oh baby amazing right when you uh great... yeah this is that, this is i love i love doing this this is so fun to get to know people who sold books um let me let me take a question real quick I, I went back let me go back to that first summer so you go out to this summer and yeah. this because this this that was like a tangent on how people do well <laughs> so there's so much yeah. wisdom there for you thank you so much um how did, before in, into that first summer how, did it go well? Did you did you kind of struggle at the beginning? How was like that story for you in that, that first summer? Yeah, yeah, really great question. So my parents were convinced that I couldn't do it and had all of my neighbors tell me why I wouldn't be successful. And not not to their not to their fault. They just were very unfamiliar with anything like this. Neither of them went to college and and really even leaving the state was like would be a big thing for, for our family at that time. So I distinctly remember I would call my mom each Saturday night and I distinctly remember calling her at the end of the second week. And I told her, I said, mom, look, I made $270 for the week. Um, don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. And she said, now, David, have you made $270 for two weeks or just this past week? <laughs> you know? And I said, no, just this past week, mom, it's all going to be all right. And I made $5 for each book that I sold back then we had these um i'll show them to you real quick oh yes. please <laughs> that's so oh fun. man this is what makes us grateful for video on spotify right andres yeah if you're listening go. you should watch it on video because this is amazing look at these 
Oh my we were selling Webster's, dictionaries. Look at Webster's those. Webster's New Word Dictionary. Yeah. And people that, people that sell today would have a great appreciation for the books we used to sell because as you'll see. Uh, <laughs> this is so cool. <laughs> that much of the book is dictionary. So only this part is like the uh, homework helper part. Oh, right. Oh my oh, goodness. Because yeah. you couldn't Google definitions. Well, you know, uh, those were the really well books that I sold with back then. And so oh, you made, they were ten ninety five, and you made five dollars for each one that you would sell. And I was a little not trained too well as a, or I didn't know much about sales. So I would often tell my customers, "Now I have one for the old, younger kids, one for the older kids. Your kids are a little younger, so let me just recommend you get this one, because I would be happy if they just bought one book from me." Sure. Right. Amazing. So my, my my parents didn't tell me this. I found out from our neighbor later, but they had saved up the money to send me my bus ticket to come home um, because they knew I would not be successful. And so, uh, no. and, and I, I didn't, I didn't struggle a lot, but I didn't do nearly as well as I should have. Um, mm. Again, I was a little immature. I was, I was, I was younger, but I had made more money than I'd made doing anything else. And right. so I was um, happy and, and, but I, I could have and should have done a lot better. The idea wow. of building a team really appealed to me, mm. but I was a little nervous because I didn't sell as much as I wanted to. So the next year, myself and this other gentleman, we brought out a team together and that team did great. And, cool. and it, it kind of went from there. How, how did your parents react when you came back and you had done, and, um, and also when I forget, I know you mentioned, where, where was that first summer at? I was in Indiana. Indiana. Ah. Okay, so you yeah. go back to Pennsylvania. What did your parents say when you tell them I'm going again? <laughs> so um, I, I rode back to Pittsburgh with one of my friends. And for the first time ever, I got to get on an airplane. And I flew ah. from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to my little town in northern Pennsylvania, Bradford, Pennsylvania. And then I hitchhiked from the airport to the uh, office where my father worked. And I surprised him. And I could tell from all the office workers that he has, was so proud of what had happened and so proud of me because they'd say, oh, wow, the successful businessman is back. Here he is, <laughs> that salesperson's here. The there successful businessman has arrived. And so um, they were very, very proud uh, of it. And they were pretty confident I wouldn't do it again because I was just lucky as we all know. Uh, and of course, something like that. Yeah, it takes so like I to finally, I, and I think one of the greatest moments of my whole Southwestern experience was that second February, before I went out my second summer, I told my parents I wouldn't really need any money for college anymore. And I'd be able to pay for it myself because I was putting the team together and, and I had a younger brother and sister and I knew that it was gonna cost for them to go to school. So it was, mm. it was and that's one thing all of the book people can be very proud of is after their first summer on, most of them become financially independent to uh, to be able to move forward. Not not wealthy, not you know, cash yeah. all over a place, but enough with some school loans and things like that, I could get to take care of it. And you know, we never had a lot of extra cash at the beginning when my uh, Cindy and I got married in 1976. The first year and a half, we lived in a trailer, and our rent was thirty dollars a month. Oh, wow. That's all the <laughs> yeah. expenses. That was great. We're keeping those expenses down and oh, yeah. saving up for the future. 
Gosh. Oh, so man. you, I how did that first team do? Because you were nervous about like your lower production, not being a, yeah. a maybe a great example for them. How did they do? Um, were they hitting, you know, the ground running or was the team that... did really, the, the, the team did really well. And cool. um, by the time this, the, one of the great things about the Southwestern program is our chance to grow as all of you guys have grew, grew in the mm-hmm. business. And, and the reason I, I wanted this other young man to bring out a team with me again, I wasn't confident I could do it myself. So it's okay, you can help him sell more because you're a better salesperson. I'll train him on technical things. We'll do it together. But as, as fate would have it, when it came time to go for the summer, he didn't come. So oh. I took the team out and uh, I think maybe, maybe they, were the, they were in the top 10 or 12 for the summer. And wow. they, all, they, they did pretty well. And, and uh, there, were, there were nine or 10 of them and uh, three or four of them came back. And, Not um, too shabby. Yeah, eventually my, my little college, Houghton College, only had around a thousand students but uh, my senior year we had 113 of them out selling for the summer no i'm sorry we had 10 percent of the student body out selling that's in, <laughs> that's incredible there's like nobody to my knowledge in in new england and in that area i know new york is just outside but like what like what happened over time to that area was it always a hotbed i know it's like where dan moore went to harvard um, what was it like recruiting in, in that part of the country? Well, oh, yeah. you, when you come to, to Nashville and you look at the display case, you see that picture of like 1,500 kids in sales school yeah. in the, yeah. the mid-70s and um, early 80s. I think the, the, the biggest year, there were 7,800 students that were selling. Dang. And then over a, about a 25-year period of time, 20, 25 years, the number of kids selling just decreased a little bit every year. And as the American society became more affluent, fewer and fewer kids needed to pay for college on their own. And so there were less kids that were selling. Mm. When I sold books and we all sold books, we had to, we had to make money or, or we couldn't go back to school. Um, it's just, just the way it was. And again, our society became so affluent that parents was our biggest problem, which you guys probably experienced with recruiting, our biggest problem wasn't the kids. It was always the parents wouldn't want their kids to do it. They wouldn't want to put them in a place they could fail. They wouldn't want to put them in a place where they might have a problem. Um, and they certainly weren't going to tell their friends at the club that their kid was out selling books door to door for the summer. I mean, yeah. that's not going to happen. Are you going to the club with uh, with kids in the family or maybe like the country club? I mean, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're not, uh, the, country club, the country club is not going to know. If your right, kid yeah. is out selling books door to door, so yeah, the numbers it's still kind of looked down, down, and down and down and down and down and down and down until about three years ago, when I think I think we began to see a shift of things headed back in the other direction because parents finally realized that you know what, maybe it's okay if my kid did get a job for the summer, you know, yeah. <laughs> maybe it's not all right to graduate with a hundred grand in debt and oh, still yeah. be living in the basement uh, right. and not being too employable, perhaps I'll, yeah, lump, what, what is there, what is there out there that my kid could do <laughs> that might could uh, make them employable because really paying for four years of college and then two or three years of grad school, it's not, it's, that plan's not working very well right now. Right. No. And so um, I think in the last few years, uh, people have begun to have a, a, a little bit more appreciation for young people that could could go out and 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 make a place for themselves and and, and do something great, so I, I hope that it's that way. It seems to be. 
Yeah. And would um, you say that, go for it, Andres. Oh, I was going to ask, man, there's so much history that you know that I'm like, this is so cool. Um, when it comes to a specific person that I want to know a little bit more about is, is Mort Utley. And I know he didn't really sell mm -hmm. books, but, you know, legendary in, in the business, in the world of Southwestern, right? He'd be what we would call an honorary guest on our podcast where he didn't really sell, but how do you not have Mort Utley on? Sure, right? yeah. So um, what, what was, how did he get introduced to Southwestern? How did like, where, how did his career kind of like keep playing back in? How did you guys decide to have him on for sales school? And then. No, I don't know like? the exact story. I don't know the exact story of how he got uh, started, but he he loved so much about what the company was doing, and how it was helping young people. He was a public speaker, and uh, for I believe it was thirty-seven years in a row, every Thursday in May or June, he flew to Nashville and gave that keynote speech. People, we all went out to so special uh, to sell. And uh, always kind, always welcoming to young people that would stop by his home. He lived in Arizona. And um, I remember once telling a, a student um, after Matt Mort had passed away, maybe three years earlier, I said, we, we were pass passing the statue of Mort. And I said, yeah, he was terrific. It's too bad you didn't, get, you didn't really know him. And he goes, what do you mean? I know Mort. Because for maybe three or four or five years after he passed away, we kept showing the, the video of him speaking in mm. sales school. And mm, so now wow. it's not used nearly as much as it used to. But um, And in our building here, Mr. Landers Plaza is named after Fred Landers. Yes. And Mr. Landers sold, uh, he was with Southwestern his entire career for 50 years. Mm. And he would have the greatest stories to tell, uh, unbelievable stories of things in, in the past. I'll share one of them, it's just incredible. Please. Yeah, yes. <laughs> um, so, so, so Mr. Landers shared a story about the only blind student to sell books door to door. A blind student a to knock on doors? A blind student with what? seeing eye dog sold books door to door. His name was AJ, two summers in West Virginia. Two summers. No way. How do you do? We need, okay. You just, uh, yeah. Like, uh, all, I know, all I know about the story is that. Um, he would have the families take him to the next house. And, oh, and back when, back when he was selling, awesome. you didn't go to the houses with just kids. You went to every single home. Oh, yeah. Okay. So that's, that's, that's how we did it. And uh, there's a human story that was told, like, um, when he was checking out at the end of his second summer, Mr. Landers said, well, but, but back then people hitchhiked a lot. Hmm. And he said, well, would you like me to help you get to Interstate 40? Because he was going to school in Texas to get a ride. And he goes, no, Fred, I want you to take me to, to uh, Interstate 65. And Mr. Landers said, well, AJ, like you don't want to get on at 65. It goes north and south. And he goes, I know, Fred, I've never seen Birmingham before. <laughs> so he wanted to go down to Birmingham and cut over to Texas that way. Um, just, just amazing stories. And I... I was very, very blessed to work with him and report to him for two or three years. And wow. He was, he was, he was just terrific. And, 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 and Spencer always paid a great honor to Mr. Landers because Mr. Landers was, and he was always referred to as Mr. Landers. Hmm. And it, he, was, he was Spencer's sales manager. And whenever Mr. Landers would speak in a meeting, he would always stand up, he would button his coat, and then he would say what he had to say. 
And again, I am so naive and I am so embarrassed. But my first year, I went to the sales manager kickoff meeting. Mr. Landers, first time I ever saw him, did that. And I'm going like, who is this guy? I mean, how can a great grandfather have anything <laughs> to help us recruit people? And I was just how ignorant I was and how just I was just so naive. And, and the reason he did that is because when he went to university, whenever you, whenever you spoke in class, you always, you always wore a coat and tied a class and you'd stand up, you'd button your coat and you'd speak and then he would sit down. So many years later, maybe 15, 20 years later, I had a chance to, to work with him directly. And it was, it was terrific. That is wow. really cool. Speaking of more wow. with all this manure, there's gotta be a pony somewhere. We love uh, what he helped us have in terms of creating the name for Ponytail. So yeah. you're, you're telling some really good ones, Dave. And uh, I love where everything is going because you have so many you know years of stories to pull from um going back to like those those first few years um curious how many summers were you actively on the field with you know the organizations that you build how did that eventually turn into that sales manager role and what was that transition like so um i sold for five summers cool and um had the teams for the summers and then i became a sales manager and um, I recruited mostly in New England and in the Northeast. Wow. Um, Love it. That's where and, we sold. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Your brother Love actually that. lived with, he lived with Jim Parrison uh, yeah. in New Hampshire. Yes. Um, who was one of my favorite salespeople over the years. Yeah, he and, said that we should have him on the show too. <laughs> yeah, he will do it. He, he, Jim, I think his wife is Margaret. Just terrific young, young, young people. Very cool. Um, and about um, in 19, I'm not sure the exact year, but I probably had about 300 people in the organization, 350. I was really busy what? in sales school, getting them all put on the field. And this uh, young man, Eric Hoffer, called me from London. And he asked, could he bring three of his British friends over to sell for the summer? He was, okay. on, he was on exchange going to school in Europe for the year. And I told him, no, um, I, I don't think that's a good idea. And so uh, he called me the next day again. He was pretty persistent. And he, he said, hey, I, I really want to bring these three guys. I think they'll do pretty well. And I said, well, Eric, how do you know these guys? And he goes, well, they're on my rugby team. We play rugby together. I said, Eric, absolutely not. When I having some British rugby guys over here, pubs and partying. And again, this is back when we had to make money to pay for school. So I told him no. He called me a third day, and again, it was another God thing that happened in my life. And um, I was so busy. I remember exactly where I was, where I was standing. And I said to him, I said, all right, Eric, just bring them, just to get them off the phone. Mm. So he brought those three kids from Britain, and they had really great summers. The next year, they sent 34 of their friends. And then Are there were kidding me? seven. Yeah. And now there's been um, 11,000 of them from 52 different countries all over the world that have come to uh, participate in the Southwestern program. Wow. So yeah, wow. yeah, that's all that. So how, how it ended up for myself is that I built my American, the American group up to 500 students and we built the international group up to 500 students. And that's how we ended up with a thousand students in the organization. So there's, 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 uh, credit that I did that and Spencer did that but really Spencer's the one that did it because he did it all here in the states he didn't have the opportunity of, of going to these other different countries around the world unreal how That's did you how it all started 
Yeah, that's how I, that's how I started over there. How did you find that uh, the the students from abroad were finding the culture shock of of coming here? And, and you know, it was, like, it was, was very easy? interesting. And it's an excellent question, um, Andres, in that um, the people loved them. They loved their accent. They loved talking to them. They were kind of celebrities in the community. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they they did really really well. Um, and we can chat about a bit more today, or we can schedule another time and we can talk all about the international uh, yeah. art. And there's yeah. all kinds of fantastic stories of what those young people have gone on to do. One of the most recent ones is uh, a, a young man named Steve Fitzpatrick was on uh, MSNBC last week with the new SPAC um, uh, vertical, uh, vertical Aerospace. Uh, Virgin and American Airlines have put over $300 million in the company that he's founded to, to create electric taxis. Um, but Whoa. that's not his first uh, startup. He and uh, his uh, wife started a company in the UK called Ovo Energy. And uh, it, it now employs over 1,200 people. And uh, they sold energy door-to-door uh, -to -door to in, in the UK. And it's a massively successful company now. So there's all kinds of stories about these different people from Europe and what they've done and accomplished. And uh, it's, it's, it's exciting. And Robin Mukherjee, you guys may yeah. have heard his name. Robin yeah. was with me for, you know, 20 years or so, maybe more, and just was a great right-hand man to help build the organization. Chris Adams, who you know his name. Yeah. They were all just, just wonderful uh leaders and young people that that did a terrific job incredible wow the the the, the growth the natural growth that it seemed that the that we've had we had rado radoslav ivanov last yeah. last episode mm -hmm. and the way he uh -huh. described it was that there was like they had this feeling of opportunity because they were coming here to work yes. and that was 100 percent gratitude 100 uh, yeah. percent correct People are wondering like, well, why did it grow so quickly? And it's because some of the companies like Estonia, Czech Republic, Slovakia, Estonia in particular, when we first started working with young people there, it was a lot like the States was in the 70s. They had just left the Soviet Union a few years earlier. There weren't a lot of opportunities to make money. Um, we've had the ambassadors from both um, Bulgaria and Estonia here in Nashville have traveled here to thank the Southwestern company for uh, what they've done for the young people in their countries. There are people in Estonia that, that feel like the Southwestern culture has changed their entire country. And there's yeah. hundreds of companies that have been started there from the book people That's over awesome. the years. So it's a very exciting thing. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that too, because it seems to be that like, it, 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 there's a difference in the way that the students go back to their country, like to their home after the summer, there's a lot of students that run companies even while they're selling or like just immediately right after versus here, it seems that there's more focus on just continuing to recruit. And so how, how do you think that they manage that time? Because I, I feel like I full-timed, I recruited, I went to school and these kids are doing that and starting companies. Like what what is it that they do that just really helps, you know, helps them succeed in so many different things yeah, at the same time? I, I, have a I have a great story at the end, I'll tell you that answers your question. Okay, perfect. <laughs> you guys are ready. I've got, I've got, the, I've got and it, it, it'll, it'll make sense to you on how they're able to do that. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So then let me ask you about what you're up to now. So you, so over the years we, we've, you know, you went from being, a, I mean, the head of essentially every European 
kid that that came here and kind of was your a huge part as well you, you mentioned spencer uh, as to growing that how did that transition into what you're up to now so so what uh what what is like the biggest lesson also from southwestern that you use in today's and you know to be successful today and how did you get here to this point well that's three questions so let's do the first one first yeah sorry um, <laughs> um so jerry heffel who was probably one of my favorite mentors I ever worked with was president of Southwestern. And it was, it was apparent that the international thing did have opportunities, but it was, uh, it was a completely different uh, business model than, than the US program. Even when they came to the sales school, they would come at the end of June and July, they would finish in October. It was a different calendar than the Americans had. And it was extremely complicated to, uh, to get them visas to come to the United States. And so um, Jerry and I talked and I said, okay, look, it may be best for me to give up the American students and just focus on the international development for the company. Uh, at that time, McDonald's had just passed a scenario where they, they now were doing more business outside of the United States than in the United States. And so we felt like, all right, if we could develop the program outside of the United States someday, they might be able to do as much of our business than we could just do here in, in the States. And I'm not sure that's happened yet, but maybe they're equal. Um, and so I, I, I focused on that. And then um, it became even more apparent that the uh, visas were, um, if you don't have that visa to come to the United States and sell books, then you're, you're not coming. And you, could, you cannot come here. And it became even a bigger and bigger challenge every year. And so I went to Jerry and I said, look, Jerry, um, these sponsors that have these visas um, really are controlling our fate here. We have no control over whether people can come or when they can come. We need to try to set up our own company, our own visa sponsor company with the State Department. And so Spencer, I always remember this, um, had a meeting with the president in Chile that he canceled and he flew overnight to come to Washington, D.C where we had set up a meeting with the State Department to ask, inquire about becoming a sponsor of this program, this work and travel program where students could come. And, um, and um, they, they, they liked the whole thing and they said, okay, yeah, you can be a sponsor. So we became a sponsor and uh, it, that became uh, a new part of Southwestern called Global Educational Concepts, where we would bring people to the United States on a cultural exchange it's a State Department public diplomacy program to make better friends throughout the world. And now that company has grown where we bring the work and travel students, not just for Southwestern, but for other places. They might be at a ski resort in Colorado for the uh, winter, or they might be at a restaurant in Destin for the summer, Destin, Florida. So we bring work and travel students. We also have a designation now to bring interns that can come and work for a year of training with different companies around the US. We have a trainee program that's similar. We have a, a high school program that we're real excited about where we're now able to bring high school students. You may have, you may have had a high school exchange student in your high school. And mm -hmm. um, so we now are able to bring those students. And then we have a teacher program where we're bringing teachers to the United States to teach for three years. And we also now have a camp counselor program where we're bringing camp counselors. And at the same time, we're um, starting programs to send Americans to other countries around the world. We're one of the four companies in the world that have signed a mutual uh, of understanding 
MOU with Korea. We have the exclusive right to send teachers to Korea to teach English. Wow, that's so awesome. We're sending teachers to, uh, to Thailand and to Vietnam and to eventually to China and Korea around the world to go teach English for a year or six months or nine months, that type of thing. So great. So that's how that evolved and how that grew. So now it's, an, it's, a, it's a part of our company. That is so cool. Now you're able to get those Europeans on over to America. I'll tell you, it it is a it is a battle, and, okay. and that, that's that's where my prayer warrior Cindy, my wife, comes in because there's been so many, so many times that um, that that's that that that's been a, a a barrier that was a wall that was so high that it was not going to happen, and. Most, most years we've been able to get it worked out. Last year, we had a special scenario where we got 78 students from Estonia that couldn't come from Estonia to Mexico. We got their visas there and got them into the United States to sell that way. So it's a, uh, it's a never ending battle. And I've got now great business partners that help run the teacher program, which just is terrific. I mean, the United States needs teachers desperately in some of these school systems. 80% of the California school systems uh, are, are having uh, missing teachers in their school systems. So um, that's going to be a great one. Uh, the high school thing is going to be great. Dave has oh, no, we cut out once again. We froze oh. once more. Yeah. Oh, okay, there we go. Eventually, We're back. eventually, we'll bring those high school kids to Nashville uh, for the lead, uh, and we'll put them through the lead program while they're here in the States. And then they'll yeah. go home for a year or two, and then they'll come sell books with us. So wow. um, we're hoping that uh, we'll be able to do some good work with them. I have a question. Um, first of all, have you seen the movie Chasing Ponies or American Summer? The, the one I, that they made. I I I, I have I I I've not seen it. Okay, because <laughs> I've seen maybe clips of it. Okay. Yeah. It, it. I mean, the production is incredible. Like what was really fascinating as an American bookman to see like the documentation of the European book experience, like in Colorado is where the movie's set. And um, there's like a scene where it's a follow day and the manager drops his pen and like explains the psychology of it to the first year being like, yeah, you know, makes me less harmful. And like, I appear goofy and, you know, harmless. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so, like it was really interesting to to see how that transition from America from Europe to America happens. What are some other you know big things that um, I don't know? Like I'd never been taught anything like that. Do y'all like really focus on psychology and technical stuff like that uh, with your group? We do a lot of that. Emil is particularly uh, becoming Dave Rosen and Bill Zizzi were way back when we worked hard to become students of the game and. Um, pregnant pauses, um, connecting the, the difference between connecting a name and using a name. Using a name, you're just naming off all these people. Connecting a name as you're describing them, and you're picking the right name that's going to be of interest to this type of person. So I, I do believe when if the, if the students sell three or four summers when they leave, they, they technically are so well-trained. That's why they seem to excel rather quickly wow. when they go off and do these different uh, careers that they enter in. So yeah, we That's do so cool. we do a lot of that. In fact, our European group, and I think that maybe the rest of the company is gonna follow this. We've actually added an extra day of training in Nashville um, because uh, we need it. 
especially with nowadays when they're selling the elect electronic product products and online subscriptions and that type of thing. Um, we need a lot more product knowledge, a lot more training um, for the students. So we, we do do wow. we do do a few things uh, differently. It's yeah. also hard to them when they come just uh, making the transition of the time change. Sometimes it's eight hours away. Um, we've had a winter sales program that most people don't know about where we brought students from South Africa, Brazil, and Peru. And um, they, so they would cool. sell in our winter time in San Diego and Phoenix, yeah. um, which is their summer holidays. Dave Brown yeah. was a recipient of uh, strong training in that program. He, he, he came and sold with them two summers, which we were very blessed to have him as a leader <laughs> groups and That's i'm awesome. hoping we can get that going again sometime soon yeah some winter sales i know that uh, the owner of enlight the company i work with right now julio hernandez recruited like 20 brazilians and they all sold in, in tempe and phoenix okay and i was when he was telling me like yeah i, I recruited people to work in, in tempe because i was uh, working with the solar company out there earlier this year um, I was like, "Are you kidding me? You put put kids in the in the summer heat like this?" And he's like, "No, no, no. Winter time it was in the winter." Yeah. I was like, blown away. That's by so it. wild. But uh, got the kids to are in the middle host. of school. Yeah, right. So it makes sense. It's relevant. Um, yeah. And uh, it was cool to meet like Jim Leonard. Um, yeah. He, yeah, he was the, always helpful to those kids. Yeah, that's awesome. So good stuff. Wow. Let me let me let me ask you, uh, Dave, because you wanted to share about the two the European students from this last year who just kind of destroyed the record and, and, and hit that. You wanted to share a little bit about them. Uh, what, what can you tell us about that this last summer with those two? Well, it's a bit more than two. Um, we had, let me see, there were four that sold over 20,000 units. Oh, and, I was uh, not aware. <laughs> wow. Yeah, Crazy. That's, that's okay. Uh, the Europeans are not always as well known uh, of what they're accomplishing. And two of them, um, <clears throat> Two or three of them, three of them broke the record that Emil had set the, the year before, two by a little bit. Peter did 30,100 30, units. So that was, a, that. that was a 50% increase over what anybody had ever sold before almost. There's no way that's real. Did he like sell the books wow. to the banks or the school districts or something? Or how did, <laughs> how did he do that? Well, again, it, was, it wasn't just this summer. It was a three-year mentoring process with Emil uh, he lived with Emil his first summer, and um, they had been, been been training and working together and understanding the psychology of the sale. Um, but they they did they did a lot of very unique things, which we don't have time to get into today. Um, but they were very very smart about how they went about the whole thing. They used social media, they used good solid payment plans, they uh, connected people in the community really well. Um, and they worked hard. Uh, they worked extremely hard from from day one until the day they got on the plane to go home. Um, but there is a story I'll share with you if you if, you, if we're ready to kind of wrap yeah, things up. The pony, the, yeah, that they refer the to. It's a great ponytail story, and um, I apologize that it's a personal story about my family. It's not necessarily a book story, but it's it's motivated a lot of the book people and changed their lives about how their expectations are. So, and, it, and it's related to books. So it's, it's October um, around uh, the year 2000 or so. 
and I'm in, I'm in uh, Scotland for the kickoff meeting. We've got all the Europeans there and we're getting them organized and getting ready for the, for the, for the year. And I got a call from my daughter, Danielle. And she said, um, dad, she said, I have this uh, thing I'm thinking about doing. I want to get your opinion. She says, I'm thinking about um, going out for the cross country team and uh, getting on a team here, here at school. And I said, oh, Danielle, I think that's a great idea. I mean, being on a team, you learn a lot. You have friends and teammates and a good coach and, and sports are always great, um, but it'll be hard. But just remember that, you know, um, um, if you, it's, it's a great thing to be part of a team. And so she said, okay, I'm going to do it. So next night, about the same time, I get another call from daughter Danielle. Dad, I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> I cannot believe what's happened to me, Dad. The coach made us run for 20 minutes. I had to run a mile. There's no way possible to run a mile. My feet are bloody. My shoes are worn out. I had to walk most of it. And I threw up at the end. And my coach is really mean. And I've just got myself in a really bad situation going on and on and on expecting and hoping that her father was going to say, okay, I understand. You tried it out. It's not going to work. But now she kind of knew what she was going to hear. It was Danielle. I'm sorry. You joined the team. So I don't care if you have to walk three miles for that cross country race. You're not going to, you're not leaving the team. No, dad, stop it. It's just torture. I can't do it. It's impossible. I don't even know. These girls have been training all summer. Uh, Maybe next year, if I train up, I'll no, Danielle, you're on the team. Stop it, Dad. Call me back tomorrow night if you want, but you're not quitting the team. Oh, this is terrible. <laughs> so as, as runners know, cross-country runners, the season goes about, and there's, there's a varsity team and a junior varsity team. Obviously, Danielle's on the junior varsity team. She's not qualified to be on the varsity team. And all of a sudden, one event, one cross-country event, for, two, for I don't know what happened, for two reasons, for, for for two of the girls, for some reason, on the varsity team couldn't run. And so ha- have you guys ever been to a cross-country race, high school kids? It, it's like through a golf course usually, right? Yes, it's around yeah. a golf course and through the woods. Yeah. And when they start, like all 100 of them are lined up together. When the girls race, it's like this herd of buffalo coming down the hill, you know. It's, you know they're all, and I, I noticed, I told Danielle, I said, I noticed, Danielle, when you run this race, everybody kind of runs down the hill and they get a spot. And they pretty much stay in that spot for the race. And maybe at the end, you go past a couple, a couple of people past you. And then at the end, so you have like six kids, on, six girls running on your team. And at the end, the top four uh, times get added up and that's your score for your team. So two girls aren't here. They have to have two people run. So they say, okay, Daniel, you'll come run with the varsity. And so she goes off and runs this race with the varsity. And I see the coach halfway through the running, kind of running back and forth as they go by different places, yelling at Danielle and cheering her on and all this stuff. And at the, at the end of this race, like when you run the race, you're trying to improve by maybe 10, 15 seconds, 12 seconds, maybe 20 seconds if you did really well. And Danielle surprisingly runs the race in two minutes and 40 seconds faster than she's ever run it before. What? Almost three minutes faster than she's, this is like impossible. This is not even comprehensible yeah and i know that this happens because they go all the way through the woods and there's these different trails where you can just kind of cut across from this line and kind of get in the line over there and cut out a big part of the race and i'm thinking my gosh i can't believe danielle would do something like that but but girls do do it i do i do know this type of thing happens so everybody's shocked and amazed and all this type of thing and 
and we get home for dinner and I'm, I'm kind of waiting to ask her. And I said, well, Danielle, I mean, everyone was really amazed about how faster you ran the race today. I was just wondering if you could, and I, I, I'm sure she's going to tell a uh, confess that she cut through the woods and we got to talk about it. And she said, you know, dad, I've been trying to figure it out myself. I can't, I can't figure it out other than when I was running in the junior varsity races, I ran with my friend Marcel and we would race together. And at the end, one would try to run, speed up and maybe pass the other one. And that would be the end. And all of a sudden this day, Marcel wasn't there anymore. And so I just ran as fast as I could. And look what happened. And then she went on to be on the varsity the rest of the year. And it was a top 10 runner in the uh, state of Tennessee. And uh, this past month, so about six weeks ago, she uh, finished her first uh, New York marathon. She's a marathon runner now. Wow. Unbelievable. There you go. So she like stopped comparing herself is what you're 100%. saying. hundred percent. So wow. the way I tell, way I tell the story to the young people is I said, look, how many times in life are we going through life and we're kind of comparing ourselves to the other people around us. I'm doing a little bit better than this one. I'm not quite as good as that one, but I'm kind of here kind of, you know, running my race, doing my deal. I'm doing okay. And it has nothing to do with what we're capable of actually accomplishing. So I, I think when I told that story to Emil and Basile and Peter and Dennis and Dominica a couple of years ago, they're like, you know what? Maybe I'm just out running the race and I'm out working hard and I'm selling a bunch of books and I'm doing pretty well. I'm making president's club and I'm hitting more, but maybe that's not anywhere close to what I'm capable of doing. And so I think what Emil did and what Peter did and what Dennis and Dominique and these kids did is like, you know what? I'm just going to run the race as fast as I can. That was the young man that did the 30,000 units. He just left everybody else and said, what can I do? What might I accomplish? And I think that story bodes well, whether you're in real estate or insurance or all the companies we have, you know, even if I'm the number one real estate person on my group or my team, is it what I'm capable of doing? What could I accomplish? What, what, what could be done if I just said, okay, look, let me just find out how good I can be. And so that's a, mm. that's my ponytail story. That's uh, brilliant. Group that, that we use that we've been using with our group. And then surprise, you know, a group of four people selling a hundred, almost a hundred thousand, well, a hundred thousand units later. That's to me crazy. Yeah, um, that's, that's brilliant. A great story to a lesson from a great story. Uh, it's kind of funny that you wouldn't think that your daughter just filling in for a varsity spot that opened would inspire such production. That's awesome. There, there were 45 kids in the org this summer because of COVID. We couldn't get many here, but those 45 kids sold 250,000 units this summer. Wow. That's a pretty good base there. Wow. Some of, it, <laughs> some of, some of it was residual sales that they had built up from previous summers. But altogether, the production of the 45 kids was right at 250,000 units. That's bananas. Yeah. Wow. It's almost Jeez. like a different uh, world that they live in. And so we're going we're gonna to try to share some of those things that they've done at GRS this year. And um, because, um, I mean, these guys are doing this in a different culture and a different language and a school system they didn't even grow up in. So I think the Americans are going to jump right in there and just join right up with them. I yeah. mean, some of our, you know, good friends um, blew up this summer, you know, Seth Hood, and, uh, Martin Cow, they've been, you know, selling 10,000 units and, um, you know, plenty of others that just kind of came out of nowhere. I think uh, Roy 
from uh, the JYD group. He was number one American. I remember meeting him a few years ago and just kind of like this droopy, mopey kid, but he's super goofy and then extroverted and really played into his own strengths and, you know, outpaced everybody in America, at least. Wow. Um, so there's there's some cool things happening over there. There are. And one of the cool yeah. things that's happening is what the two of you are doing. So I want to thank both of you for the, the time and effort you're putting in to keep our stories alive and to share these stories amongst the community. And, um, you know, Dustin has a new thing we're trying to promote, Southwestern for Life, where we can all work together and be friends forever and encourage each other yeah. and motivate each other and share ideas and build things together. Y yeah. You guys are an important part of that. So congratulations. Terrific. Yeah. Well, job well done. Thank you well, so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate you for being here. And uh, you, this is episode number 78 of hundreds and thousands to come. So I'm so excited. We'll have to have you back on again for more crazy stories and more fun stuff. Uh, but I appreciate you so much for being here. And, and it's been an honor. Thank you so much. It's been an honor to be with you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Dave Cosner's episode. It was a blast to have him on. We're also excited to be promoting Enlight Energy. Um, Andres and I have both done some work with them this past year and, and really love the chance to lower people's electric bills. Um, but what's really cool is like with this industry, it's almost like real estate per customer. The commissions are, are pretty, pretty significant. Um, and so it's a long sale. It can take a bit of time to make that money, but even just one gets you, you know, a month's worth of, uh, you know, paycheck right there. Not sure if you're interested, but I know that uh, it's really fun to have those conversations with homeowners because when they finally understand, it's like, wow, I can help people. I can help myself save money by going solar. Um, so yeah, we work in most any market. Um, we've got the ability to open up new markets and uh, we're looking to get people on board. So reach out to myself or Andres and we can put you in touch with our management team, get the ball rolling. Heck yeah. And of course, lastly, we're brought to you guys by V Design Lead. These guys are the guys behind our website, soon to be live. So uh, make sure you go to and find us at ponytailspodcast.com here shortly. We'll let you know when that is live. But we've been working with these guys to get our website ready. You can find our merch there. You're going to be able to find all our episodes. You can find links to everything that we've had or done that has to do with ponytails. You can go there and support us. Uh, and you can find everything you need. It's been so easy to work with these guys. In fact, we've actually been the ones that are have been the ones lagging because they are so quick and so fast and so knowledgeable on how to make this work. Our websites, we're super excited. It's looking sharp and it's it's going to be up and running and we can't be more happy to work with these guys and so if you have a business that you need to promote they have flexible prices as well depending no matter how big your budget or how low your budget they'll be able to work with you to be able to get you a website that looks right uh, of course one of the things that we really appreciated about them is that as we were looking into getting a website designed we were getting quotes you know in the 20s to thirty thousand dollars because of all the different intricacies that are going to go which is not uncommon for what we're trying to do these guys were able to give us really, really good deal and still make it look as professional as the best of them because they are amazing at what they do. So thank you guys so much for uh, listening in and uh, we'll uh, catch you in the next one. We do have, uh, Nick, if you want to let us know who's coming up, we have, uh, I know we have Daniel Burke Aguero in a couple days and then. Yeah, DBA. We're excited to have him on. Right. Uh, good. He was one of my favorite mentors growing up in the business. One of the first managers I met after my first summer checkout. Um, so excited to connect with him. After that, we've got quite a few awesome episodes. One second, pulled up the wrong calendar. <laughs> no, it's all good. So I know we DBA, have. And then we got yep. Alistair Edwards on Sunday. Sunday. So this guy is like really successful, um, you know, millionaire level type of stuff. And what he does is 
share all these life lessons that he got from, of course, Southwestern and beyond. Um, so that's going to be a really high quality episode. Excited for that. Um, next Thursday, we've got Yvette's sister, Ingrid Keister, who like blew the doors down her first summer and really set a pace for even Yvette to keep up with, which is great. And then after that, we've got Aaron Raleigh, then Lee McCroskey. That'll be a great episode. Super excited for Lee. And then <laughs> David Thomas, Greta Huerta, and then um, Eva Steffel before a whole month of married book couples. So we love our guests and we're excited to you know, let you listen in on their stories. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. So see you guys there. Hope you guys enjoy this one and we'll catch you at the next one. Bye.